You can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be over there for today. In one of his books, James Emery White tells of a Russian-American comic. Name was Yakov Smirnov. What a name. (laughs) The initial response to the incredible variety of instant products available in American grocery stores as he was walking through the aisles. He said, oh my, his first shopping trip through the grocery stores. Oh my, I saw powdered milk. You just add water and you get milk. Then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange juice. Then I saw baby powder. And I thought to myself, what a country. What a country. It is easy for us to get overwhelmed. Last week we were looking at how we can get overwhelmed. We looked at, remember the juggler we saw? And he was juggling all those different things. How many of you would be overwhelmed with all the things he was juggling? We get a little frustrated with all that stuff going around. But he learned how to handle it. He learned how to cope. He learned how to get, get his capacity up. We're going to look at someone else here this time. We're going to, we call this the frustration triangle. You'll see why as we get on into this. But in Exodus chapter 2, we're going to be over there. Last week again, we were looking at uh, when, frust- when frustration sets in, we feel powerless, confused, unjustly treated. We looked at Gideon, and Gideon spoke, or Gideon received some things from God. God spoke some things to him, and he heard them, but he repeated them back differently, didn't he? And we said that we were, when we are in the land of frustration, faith is like another language. Frustration is like a filter that keeps us from seeing what is really true. For Gideon, and for us, frustration keeps, or kept his faith from hearing, and from seeing, and from acting. There are three responses, we saw, to an abundance of opportunity, which really frustration comes from, an abundance of something. We're getting too much of something. We can get frustrated and contract, we can get satisfied and resist, or we can get excited and expand. We're going to get more into those as we go on. But let's go over here to Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Now, if you ever take a look at Dake's notes on things, Dake's has some interesting notes on Uh, some aspects of Scripture. And he was noticing on this one that uh, it seems like the seventh generation always did something special. Or it seems like people who did something special were the seventh generation. Moses, as it turns out, is the seventh generation from Abraham. Abraham was the seventh generation from Heber. He he gave birth to Peleg and then Ru and then Sarag, Nahor. And of course, you never heard of any of those, those folks. Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. Seems like the seventh generation comes into play quite a bit. But Moses was the seventh generation from Abraham. That's how close he was. And the child was seen by the parents and the child was called by the parents a beautiful child. Does that surprise you? I mean, really, what mom and what dad would not look at their newborn baby and say, Oh, what a beautiful child. It hasn't grown up any to do all those other things that it would do as time would go on. Right now, it was just young and just a beautiful child. And 
And whether they perceived that God's hand was on this child, or there was a call on his life, not exactly sure. But they decided to try and preserve this child. And you know, all the other ones were being put to death. They wanted to preserve this one. So when they couldn't hide him anymore, I mean, how good is it to hide baby for three months? You've got to be doing a pretty good job. And they finally decided that, well, we can't do this anymore. So they put him in a little ark and they put him in the river and they set it afloat. And the sister stood afar off watching what was going on. Verse 5, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. When she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Well, who else are you going to get? Then Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Well, what's real interesting with this is the, the mom decided, Well, we can't hide the baby anymore, so we're just going to have to put it in the river. And you'll notice that they live pretty close to Pharaoh's house. Interesting that the slaves had an abode fairly close to Pharaoh's home. And so that being that close to Pharaoh's home, they knew the comings and goings, apparently, of those that were in the house. And so they put the baby in the water, I would assume, for the purpose of the baby being found by Pharaoh's daughter. And so they stood afar off to watch and see what would happen. They knew at times she would come out to bathe, put the baby in at the appropriate time. And the baby was discovered and things fell like they thought that they would. And so then she came and said, they want someone to nurse him. How about you go? And so she went and now she's getting paid to do what she was doing before in secret, in fear of being killed. Now she's getting paid to do it. Glory to God. <laughs> That's a blessing, isn't it? Now you can watch your baby grow up and somebody else is going to take care of him and protect him. So this is good. It's nice when you see things come together. The show we used to watch when we were kids, Hannibal used to always say, I love it when a plan comes together. Any of you A-Tune fans may remember that. So we see the people that are involved. We see the way God pulls this thing together. He's done this before. God has pulled some incredible things together in the past because right now what you're going to see is that Moses, the deliverer of Israel, is going to be raised by Pharaoh. The one for whom he's going to defeat is going to raise him up. You also see that Elijah, he is fed and protected in Jezebel's homeland. Where Jezebel came from is where Elijah was sent to be fed by the widow. We see that Joseph is sold as a slave and imprisoned in a land that he would eventually rule. See that Haman built some gallows to hang the Jew, Jewish people on. And who got hung on them? Haman. Haman. <laughs> we saw people who decided to concoct a scheme to get Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. And who got thrown into the lion's den and eaten by him? They did. So God just has some way of making some plans that people form against us. Just turn around and become something good. So Moses was in Egypt. Now, according to Josephus, he gives the name 
of the woman who's going to raise him here, Pharaoh's daughter, as Thermuthis, and says that she adopted Moses to succeed her father as ruler of Egypt. Now, she knew that he was a Hebrew child. But she adopted him with the purpose of having him raised up to be ruler over Egypt. That would seem to be a conflict. According to Josephus, Moses was put in command of the Egyptian war against the Ethiopians and conquered them completely. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, then he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses is not unaware that he has a calling on his life. How do most people come to know the calling that God has on their life? The Spirit of God witnesses to, to you. He begins to tell you some things that are, that are going on. So he was not aware of what God called him to do or to be. And he began to explore fulfilling that calling. How many have ever felt the calling of God on you in a particular area and began to explore how to fulfill that? Moses is doing so. Like many of us, he was aware of his calling, but not how or when it would be fulfilled. Because just because we have a calling does not mean we are at the when or that we know the how. Joseph had a calling. He knew what that calling was going to be early on, but it was not the when for it yet. David had a calling to become king, but it was not the when for it yet. There are many times in Scripture where we see the calling was there, but it's not the when. Jesus had the calling to be the Messiah, but it was not the when yet. He waited until he was 30 years old, and then he stepped into the when. Just because we have the calling does not mean we're at the time. Sometimes the time depends on circumstances that are around us. Sometimes the timing depends on us, whether we're ready or whether we've gotten ourselves prepared. Whatever it is, we have to make sure that we know the how and the when. So Moses is out here. He's exploring this thing. I put this in your outline for you to fill it in. But what begins divinely cannot be fulfilled humanly. What begins divinely cannot be fulfilled humanly. If you try to humanly fulfill what is set as divine, you will get frustrated because you will try to accomplish something without the power to do it. What begins divinely cannot be fulfilled humanly. You saw this certainly with David when David said, I can't just take the throne. God will have him die or he'll be dying in battle or something will happen and then the, the throne would be given to him. Elijah had the servant of Elisha and Elisha wanted to double the anointing. And Elijah said, it's not for me to give to you. It's for God. And so, what begins divinely, if the call begins divinely, it will be divinely fulfilled. You don't have to make it be fulfilled. Well, that takes some pressure off of us because sometimes frustration comes because of the pressure that we feel. We feel like I got to start moving. I got to start doing some things. And we get moved off of where we're supposed to be and moved into things that we're not supposed to be into. We begin to take on divine things with human strength. And we can get frustrated because I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the grace to do that. A lot of things I'm missing. What begins divinely cannot be fulfilled humanly. There are, by, uh, by the same token, we have to make sure that we don't become lazy. 
It's not that we're just supposed to sit around and just wait for some things to happen. There are some times we need to step out there and do some things. David was called to be king, and he set about doing the things that he could. He ran the army, went into battles, he did kingly type things, but he let God take care of that part. So he goes on out and he sees this Egyptian beating the Hebrew. He kills the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. I put this in your outline too. Works of the flesh do not stay buried for long. <laughs> How many of you have ever found that out? We got works of the flesh and we tried to bury them somewhere so that no one would see it. But now it comes out. Just because no one was looking, just because we buried it in the sand does not mean it won't come back to get us. Works of the flesh do not stay buried for long. In the same way, works of the Spirit cannot be contained. How many times did Jesus go into a city and perform miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit and it got to be so much that He couldn't stay there anymore? Works of the Spirit cannot be contained, but works of the flesh cannot be buried. Verse 13, And when He went out, the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And He said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now he looked this way, he looked that way. <laughs> he didn't see anybody. But apparently someone saw him or the people that he spared. They uh, went out there and said a few things too much to too many people. However it was, it got around. So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, verse 15, I want to read this again for you real slow. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. I don't know about you, but it seems like there's a whole lot more to the story there. Can you, as... In, you're in line for the throne of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finds out you killed an Egyptian. And he comes to get you. Can you see a little bit more drama? You think a little bit more happened here. But Moses just puts it this way. Pharaoh heard of it. He tried to kill Moses. Moses fled and dwelt in the land of Midian. <laughs> How did he get there? This is Egypt. They were the world power at the time. They don't care where you are. They will come and get you. They just defeated the Ethiopians. We heard, heard that Moses led that battle. They were a powerful army. Pharaoh has at his command the army. He would send the army after Moses. And Moses is fleeing from Pharaoh. It's not Pharaoh running, on the, running after him. It is his army. So you got a whole army of people coming after you. And all you write is, Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. <laughs> I don't know. I think we could have gotten a few more chapters out of this. But we didn't. That's all that we have. So either Moses doesn't want to brag about some of the things that happened or Moses is embarrassed by some of the things that happened or some things happened that hurt Moses a great deal and he wants to avoid them. Something went on. Because there's a whole lot more to tell here. Now God did all this miraculous stuff to preserve him in his birth. 
He did all this miraculous stuff to get him out of Midian and to come back. He did all this miraculous stuff when he came to, to Egypt to deliver Israel. He did all this miraculous, all these miraculous things when Israel left Egypt, part in the Red Sea, water from rocks, all these miracles went on. Do you think that for, do you think for a moment the miracles stopped when he's writing from Pharaoh? You think we've got a couple of miracles going on here? If a whole army is sent to look for Moses, and Moses just said he went to Midian and sat down by a well, probably some things happened. We'll have to probably wait till we get to heaven to find out what happened, though. <laughs> Sit on down and ask Moses what's going on. You know, Moses was sitting down before judging Israel all day long, so he's got some stamina, so he can sit there and answer a whole lot of questions. I put this in your outline. Frustration comes from three sources. I thought about this for a long time. I could not come up with too many other sources that really frustration comes from. Maybe you might be able to come up with something else. But I got three sources in here that frustration comes from. First off, frustration comes from ourselves. I get frustrated when I can't do something. I get frustrated when I don't have an ability that I need to have. Have you ever been frustrated with that? <laughs> have you ever been on a computer and you don't have the ability to make the thing do the thing that you want it to do? <laughs> I, I laugh because I, in my, my wife is not the biggest Star Trek fan. I am a huge Star Trek. I love the whole series of Star Trek. They did not make a Star Trek I did not like. They did make some I like better. But I just, I love Star Trek. But even though my wife is not the biggest Star Trek fan, I think she would have been very comfortable living in the Star Trek era. Because on a continual basis, my wife talks to her computer. Anybody else here talk to your computer? Yeah, it doesn't work. The computer does not accept vocal commands. It, can, it wants keyboards and mice. But, you know, she'll be in there and she'll be talking to the computer because the computer's not doing what you want it to do. So y'all been there, right? And we can get we can get frustrated with the computer, but really the frustration is with me. Because I can't make it do what I wanted to do. I needed to do this. I just wanted to open my email. That's all I wanted to do. I just want to see my email. And we get frustrated. I just want to get to the web page. I just that's all I want to do. I just want to open the web page. I just want to you can't get there. I just want the MP3 player to play this, right? We get frustrated then. We're not really frustrated at that. We're frustrated at the fact that I can't figure out how to make it go. We get frustrated at the car, but we're really frustrated with the fact that I can't make the car do what I want it to do. And I don't know how to get under the hood and, and, and get it going. Right? We get frustrated with ourselves because we, there's a lack of ability. There's a lack of knowledge. There's a lack of understanding. We, we're, we're sensing our lack. And as soon as I begin to sense my lack, I get frustrated. Get upset. I can't do this. I feel like I should be. I need to do it. I have to do it. But I can't. And that's, that's a gap. You know, frustration comes when there's a gap there. This is where I need to be. This is where I am. As long as you can get there, you're fine. But if you can't see a way to get there, you can get frustrated. But it comes from the first source, ourselves. Secondly, it comes from others. Other people frustrate us. They ask us things we don't feel like we should have to do. 
They demand things that we don't think are right. We have all kinds of things that we can be frustrated with other people for. Right? How many, how many got frustrated with other people this week? I mean, somebody who's driving in front of you. Not right. Not correctly. Going 25 in a 50 mile an hour zone. That's just not right. That shouldn't happen. I was, I was thinking about getting frustrated just yesterday. I had to go out and get something for my wife. And so I went on out and I was on my way back. And uh, as I was coming on my way back, there was a police officer who had just pulled over a truck at a very bad spot. And you know how the police officers pull over the truck where there's not really a shoulder. So the truck is now kind of on the road. And you know how the police officers always park beyond the vehicle to offer some protection? Well, he was beyond the vehicle, so now the lane got narrowed more. So a two-lane road became a one-lane road. I'm thinking, what did that guy do? It was so bad that all the rest of us got to suffer for. (laughs) We can get frustrated at other people. People we don't even know. I have no idea who the police officer was. I have no idea who the truck driver was, but I still can get frustrated. People that you know can frustrate you too. But certainly people that you don't even know. I mean, people that are in the grocery store checking out the people and they just aren't going as fast as you think they ought to go. Or the other line got to go faster. You ever been there? You know, you decide which one am I going to go to? This line or that line? Where they're both, well, I'll just go this one. And then that one seems to be moving and you're still staying there. Right? We don't necessarily get frustrated at us because we made the wrong choice, but we get frustrated at the person because why can't they be as fast as that one over there? <laughs> Oh my. So you know how that can come in. We can get frustrated from three sources. Ourselves, others, and the third one is God. Ever been frustrated at God? You feel like God's making demands of you that shouldn't be made? God's expecting something of you that you just can't seem to do? We get frustrated from ourselves, from others, and God. We can get frustrated at the things they do. We get frustrated at the things that they don't do. We get frustrated at the things we think they ought to do. The things they, we think they expect. All sorts of stuff. When we looked last week at Gideon, Gideon was frustrated with, first off, his own lack. Because every time God talked to me about him being a man of power, what he'd say? He'd, def- he'd deflect it. You're not talking to me, you're talking to us. He would deflect it. He didn't see himself that way. So first off, he was frustrated with his own lack. Secondly, he was frustrated with God's overwhelming call. Because the God had put on him to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites, that was an overwhelming call and Gideon was frustrated with it. Now here we're looking at Moses. Moses, he's frustrated with other people's non-acceptance. Because when he came on out, and those people said, what are you going to do? Kill us too? Like you killed the Egyptian? Moses is first off thinking, I'm your deliverer. Don't you realize that? How is it that you don't see? They're not accepting him as a deliverer. And he can get frustrated with that. How many times have you felt God calling you to do something and other people are not accepting of it? Mm-hmm. So Moses is feeling right there. They're not accepting of it. Now, it's not because Israel didn't need one. But they didn't see him as being it. 
So he's frustrated first off with other people not accepting his calling. I'm sure he's patting himself on the back too thinking, hey, I could have stayed in Pharaoh's palace there and just been raised up with him and, and ruled over you. But instead I'm out here trying to deliver you. So that can get frustrating. People don't appreciate what it is that you're doing for them. <laughs> so he's frustrated with other people's non-acceptance. And later, with God's continuing harassment. Does not God continually harass people <laughs> when, when they're missing it, when they're not going in the direction that they should? He's just always there, reminding you about it. Moses was constantly hearing God. You're called to be the deliverer. I don't want to be the deliverer. I'm not going back there. I'm staying right here. I'm happy here. This is a good place. Got a wife, got kids. Got sheep, got goats, got water. Got family. People up here like me. I came up here to be the deliverer and I was. And they recognized it. <laughs> Went down there to be the deliverer and they didn't see it. See, Moses has got a calling to be a deliverer, but he's not called to be a deliverer of a family. He's called to be a deliverer of Israel. Verse 16, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Apparently, no sons. Or else if they did have sons, they uh, didn't continue to live. They have seven daughters. And they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. So what happened was the woman would come. They'd look around. No one's there. So they'd fill up the troughs with water. And then after the men saw that the woman did all the work, they'd come on out and drive them off and let their folks drink out of all the water. And then the woman would have to come back and fill them up again to water their own. Not very nice. Certainly something that the men shouldn't be doing, but they did. So the shepherds drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them. So Moses stood up and said, wait a minute. No, you guys don't do this sort of thing. And so he helped them. Now, it uses the word shepherds. But there's only one Moses. So what you have is that Moses stood up and drove away the shepherds. So he's apparently pretty good at hitting himself. No matter what kind of a weapon he's got, he can do pretty good with stuff with it. And he's not afraid. He'll jump right on in. Now going back to Star Trek again, how many ever saw the the new movie they put out, the Star Trek movie? The new one? I'll tell, tell you before, I know I've said this before, but that is the best movie ever. <laughs> that was just the best movie ever. There's no better movie I've ever seen than, than that one. It just, oh, it was so good. And I told you before, we watched it again the other, other day. And I love that bar scene where the uh, Captain Kirk is in there and the, the guys are getting all upset with them. They got like four or five, I think four guys. And they're, they're picking a fight. And they said, hey, you better look. Didn't you see there's four of us? And he said, well, go out and get yourself some more guys and it'll be a fair fight. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> oh my. Well, this is what Moses is thinking. It's a fair fight if you've got a couple and it's just me. And I'll take you on. And he took him on. And he defeated him. And drove him back. I'm sure he wasn't getting help from the ladies. 
They've been content every day just to let the shepherds come on, drive them out. And then they come up and fill up the water troughs again. So they drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Now, I love the way that Moses phrases this. Again, remember verse 15. You know, Pharaoh was mad, wanted to kill him. And Moses fled and went to Midian and sat by a well. Great detail. Look at the detail here. Moses stood up and helped them. <laughs> you got shepherds who are coming in by force. And Moses says, I stood up and I helped them. How do you think he helped them? He was beating up on some people. And then he came in and he helped uh, put, the, put water in there. Helped water their flock. And when they came to Raul, their father, he said, how is it that you have come so soon today? Because he knew it took him a while, and I'm sure the first couple of times it took him, you know, several hours to water the flock. They, he said, how come? Well, the shepherds, they came, and, they, and he didn't have anybody to send them. If he had somebody to send along to help defend the seven daughters, he would have done it. He's a dad. He's got seven daughters. He's probably, every time he sent them out, he's probably concerned. Dad must have been in some kind of shape that he couldn't go with them. Otherwise, he'd probably go on with them and done something too, but for some reason he couldn't do it. And so they got back early this time and said, what happened? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. So they went back and they got him. <laughs> and guess where Moses was? Where did Moses tell us he went to? Sat by a well. He's still over there sitting by the well. Moses was content to live with the man and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. She bore him a son and called his name Gershom for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. The cry came up to God because of the bondage. So look at how it's going for Moses here. Moses is feeling the call of God to be the deliverer of Israel. He steps out to try and accomplish that call in the flesh and it fails. And people got mad and people wanted to kill him and he had to escape. He escapes. He comes over here to the well and some women needed delivering. So he stepped up in the anointing of a deliverer and he delivered them from their problem. And he helped them out. And they were glad. They accepted his role as a deliverer. Went back, told their dad. The dad accepted the role of a deliverer. He said, come, come on and live with us. You'll be our permanent deliverer. Don't you think Moses was looking forward to showing up at the well the second day? You guys coming again? Come on. <laughs> I'm here every day now. <laughs> why don't you just wait until we get done? In fact, why don't you come on over here and help us get the water out? So now they got to work from there to that point on. They couldn't just uh, draw off the women pulling up the water. So he's in a new land. He's got a wife. He's got kids. He's happy. The Word of God says that he's content. And no one's trying to kill him. I mean, that's a good thing. No one's trying to kill him. So um, it's real easy to just kind of stay there. But he's got an anointing on him to be a deliverer. He is using that anointing to deliver seven daughters from some shepherds. 
and it's working. Have you ever, you know, got a tool that's supposed to be used for something really big and you're using it for something really small? It's got great power, but you're not even tapping into it. Moses was created by God to be a deliverer of a nation. And he's content to be a deliverer of seven daughters, one of which is now his wife. It's really easy. When you, are, when you have become frustrated with pursuing the call of God to become content with something less, letting the anointing that is on your life be more than enough to accomplish that, but never get it into what God said. Don't think, we told you this before and we went over the other story. Don't think that Moses first heard from God at the burning bush. If God has to get a burning bush to get your attention, you're missing God somewhere. And Moses was missing God. He wasn't listening because he was content. And God's saying, I didn't put that anointing on you to deliver seven women from some shepherds. Not saying that's not important, but that's not what I put it on you for. You can go out here and you can practice in that anointing. But now it's time to get going. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. And God acknowledged them. That's more than Moses is doing. What do you think Moses is doing whenever the children of Israel come to mind? No, I know they don't think much of me. They rejected me being their deliverer. I'll let them stew and all that stuff down there. That's fun. Every time that God probably brings it to mind, I'll bet you he's got a whole spiel. Remember Elijah? Elijah, we got the whole spiel. I have been very zealous for the Lord. And he lists all the different things that he's done. And I alone am of your prophets are left. And now they seek to kill me. And God asks him again. He says the exact same thing. We see that he rehearsed this. He's probably said this to himself quite a few times. Man, I've been zealous for the Lord. I've been doing what he's been telling me to do. I've been going out there taking care of Israel. And now they want to kill me. He's been going over this a lot of times. I'll bet you Moses has been going over the same thing. Every time that the call of God would come up, you're called to be the deliverer of Israel. He's going, they don't want me. They don't like me. They tried to kill me. I'm going to stay right here. I'm content. I'm happy here. Got a wife. I got some kids. May not have been the life I was thinking I would be living in, but this is fine. Because we try to become content in something else instead of what God said. But it said God heard their groaning. Did not forget them. Now isn't it interesting how in the midst of all this stuff that Moses was going through, how so wonderfully everything worked out. Many people will look at what happened with Moses and Midian. And they'll see how things went so well in Midian. Isn't that an indication that it's God's will? I mean, look how well it all went. You showed up at a well, seven daughters came in, one of them would be your wife. You can't plan that stuff. I just showed up at a well, there was a situation, the anointing that was on me rose up, took care of it, met my wife, we got married, we had kids. Life's been good ever since. You look at how things work out, you begin to think, well, God just must be in it. God must be in this whole thing. God must have brought me here to Midian. That was his purpose. Now think back, did God spare Moses 
because you know his mom is telling him. Mom probably had contact. She she nursed him all that time, and after that, she probably still had contact with him. And eventually, she got to a point where she told Moses, "Moses, I'm your mom. This is the story. This is how it all went." Sometimes we can see how things have gone well for us in a certain area, and we think this must be the will of God. It doesn't mean that it's not the will of God, but it doesn't mean it is either. What's God saying? What's God speaking to you? Moses was content to live with the man. Just because you're content with where you are doesn't mean that's where God wants you. It doesn't mean it isn't. Don't be led by circumstances. Be led by His Spirit. If His Spirit has led you into a place and you find contentment there, glory to God. But if His Spirit has led you into a different place and you're finding contentment elsewhere, it could be trouble. As it says, now in the process of time, in the process of time, things begin to develop. I put this in your outline here at the end. These are four kinds of responses to God. Four kinds of responses to God. This can be a response to God if God gives us a command to do something. This can be a response to God if God gives us a call to do something. This can be a response to God if God gives us an assignment. I need you to do this over here. This can be a response to God if He gives us knowledge, understanding, revelation, wisdom we didn't have before, we can have a response to it. There are four kinds of responses that we can have in this. First off, no, I can't do that. Not have room on yours. If you want to squeeze this in, you can, but you know those, uh, there's some people who can say this a whole lot better than I can. But here's the short version of it. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, yes, a little kid, a little two-year-old. Well, you do, I don't want to. My daughter was here. She's traveling this weekend, her and Nikolai. But if she was here, she can do it real good. <laughs> she can get the finger going and the head going and the whole thing. <laughs> I'm not that dramatic. But no, I can't do that. It's basically, I don't want to. You can't make me. What this shows is a lack of willingness. There is a lack of willingness. When God comes and tells us something that's in his word, I want you to do this. I want you to not do this. I want you to step into this area. I want you to put that down. Whatever it might be, there's a lack of willingness on my part to obey. I can't do that. Mm -mm. No, I can't do that because I like it. I don't want to give it up. I can't do that because I don't feel I'm empowered. I don't have the ability. Whatever it is, I can't do that. Uh -uh. Nope, nope, nope. Nope, I can't do that one. I actually switched that up there. I should have put it the other way. This one is more of a lack of ability. I can't do it. I cannot get it done. The next one is more what we, what we just said here. No, I won't do that. I won't do that. This is a lack of willingness. I'm refusing. This is more the I don't want to. The other one is I can't, but this one, mm-mm. No, you're not. You can't make me do that. I won't do that. God says, Steve, stop doing that. Nope, I won't do it. I'm not questioning whether I have the ability. I'm questioning that I have the willingness. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to give that up. I'm not willing to step in that area. I'm not willing to do those things. I'm not willing to take this on. It's either I can't do that or I won't do that. It's either I lack in the, I don't see myself as having the ability. Or I do not have the willingness. 
Those are two responses we can add to the things of God so far. I can't do that. Gideon was more in this thing that I can't do it. It's not that he wasn't willing. He didn't feel he was able. I can't do it. Moses, he, he thought he could do it and then tried it and didn't. And I still think he thinks he can do it, but other people won't receive it. Other people are in the way. And so because of that, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to and you can't make me. And when God shows up at the burning bush, he t- tries every which way. No, no, I can't, I can't talk. I can't do this. You know, they're going to kill me and all these different things. And basically he gets down to, look, just call somebody else. Because I don't want to. <laughs> no, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. No, I won't do that. There's a lack of willingness. Number three. Yes. I'll get to that soon. Yes, I should do that. And I'll, I'll, I'll get right on that pretty soon here. In other words, I should. Before it was, I, I can't. I won't. Now I realize, well, I should do that. But I'm not going to do it right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll get to it later. How many when we were little? We had the chores we had to do. You know, did you take the trash out yet? Cut the lawn? Not yet, but I'll get to it. And then what would happen? <laughs> we didn't get to it today. We didn't get to it tomorrow. And we let the whole thing get into a, bit, a bad mess. And this one I recognize of re- it's a recognition of responsibility. I recognize I have a responsibility here. <laughs> I should, I should do that. I'm not necessarily not willing to do it. I'm not seeing that I don't have the ability to do it. I can see I could probably do this thing and I, I am really willing to do it. I'm just not willing or ready to do it right now. You know, down the road. Tomorrow. Maybe the day after that. I don't know. Next week. Yeah. I'll get to that soon. That's the response we can add to the things of God. Yeah, yeah. I'll get to that. Hmm. But God, when God says, Moses, it's time to go down to Egypt now, He's not saying, I want you to get to this soon. He's saying, get to it now. When Jesus came to Peter, James, and John and said, pray with me an hour lest you enter into temptation, He wasn't saying, do it later. He wasn't saying, I just want to see that you have a good attitude about it. That you're, you're willing. I don't want to see that you just think, oh, well, I can pray for an hour. I want to see that you see that you do it now. And they're saying more like, oh, I'll get to that pretty soon. But right now, I just need to take a little nap. Just a little tired. As soon as I take a little nap, I'll get right up and I'll be able to right, get right in there with you and pray. Yeah, I'll get to that soon. Here's the last one. Yes, I'll do that now. This not only includes a recognition of responsibility, but an acceptance of responsibility. It's not I should anymore, it's I will. Yes, I will do that. Yes, I will do that. Many times God speaks us some things in His Word. He tells us some things in His Word. He says, don't do this. Don't get into this area. Stay out of that. And sometimes we may say, I don't want to. Sometimes we may say, I just don't have the ability. 
Sometimes we may say, all right, I should do that, but you know what? I'm going to hang on to this for a little bit longer. I should give that up, but I'm just not yet. No, nope. what God wants to see is, yes, I'll do that now. Paul relates our Christian walk to a soldier. That we should be good soldiers in the army of God. And if you're a soldier and the sergeant comes up to you and says, Private, wash those dishes. What kind of response will we get if we say, well, I can't? Oh, it wouldn't be pretty. It would not be pretty. What kind of response will we get if we say, I don't want to? That'd be even uglier, would it? What kind of response will we get from the sergeant if we said, I should, I'll get to it soon. <laughs> He's not going to accept that one either, is he? No, what's he going to say? You'll do it now. You'll do it now. If you came up and the whole line is is being disobedient in some area or one person is being disobedient and he says to the whole platoon, the whole group that's there, drop and give me 20. Give me two miles. Whatever it might be. He doesn't mean tomorrow. Doesn't mean after lunch. He means right now or you don't get nothing. It's all cut off. Right now. But I didn't do anything. Do anything. I, I don't deserve. Don't matter. Sometimes we've got to understand, folks, we're in the army of God. And when God speaks something to us and says, do it now, I need it, what are we supposed to do? Not, no, I can't do that. Not, no, I won't do that. Not, yeah, I'll get to that soon. But yes, I'll do that now. I'll do that now. That's how we need to respond to God. The other three responses are going to generate frustration in our life. This is the only one that will close that gap. We want to get out of the frustration areas. We want to get out of the areas where we're being overwhelmed. What we need to do is to learn to obey God. Now. Learn to obey God. Now. I heard a story of someone was telling me. I don't remember who, it was, the, who was the person telling me. But they were in the army. And they were... Uh, you know, going through boot camp and all the different things that had gone on. And and they learned some things. You know, first off, you don't volunteer for anything. That's a, that's a real early one. My dad would tell us always about that one. Never volunteer for anything in the Army. Because they would first ask for volunteers. But what they did find out that if you didn't volunteer for anything, that you would get on the bad side of the sergeant. It wasn't a good thing to be on the bad side of the sergeant. It was a good thing to be on the good side of the sergeant. So they began to pick and choose, but they began to show up and to do some things. They won the favor of the sergeant. And so the sergeant would sometimes come in and he would say to them, I need a volunteer. I'm going to come in. I'm going to need a volunteer in a little while. Volunteer. That's all he would tell them. And so they come to the group. I need a volunteer. And the two guys, hands went right up. All right, you two, come with me. And he would take them to the cushiest job you could possibly have. I think one time they had to be a guard at a concert. So they got to go backstage. They got to meet the people. They got to be there for the... It was just a wonderful thing. They said, oh, it was a great day. And we just had the greatest time. And, and, and uh, we volunteered. <laughs> and they, they won some favor over with the thing because they weren't just hiding all the time and not doing anything. We need to learn to obey God on the little things. That when God says in His Word, 
Stay out of this area. Don't pick this thing up. Don't start gossiping. Don't start harboring bad feelings or all the different things, you know, we've gone over in the past. And, and we see that in the Word of God. And as soon as we see it, we don't say, I can't do that. We don't say, I won't do that. We don't say, yeah, I'll get to that soon. We say, I'll do it now. I will stop doing that right now. I'll take that, take care of that. I remember the story Brother Hagin used to share with us when he was out there on the road and things weren't going so well. He would take God to that scripture. You said in your word, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. He said, I'm, I'm out here. I'm doing what you called me to do. I left a really nice, comfortable position and now I'm out here doing this. And I'm not eating the good of the land. And God came to him and says, well, you're obedient, but you're not willing. What do you mean I'm not willing? And he went over, he argued with God. What do you mean I'm not willing? I'm out here. I did all this. And he says, well, you're obedient, but you're always talking about how good it was before. How much you gave up. You're not willing to be here. You're just obedient. And he said, I, I straightened that up right, right away. He says, it don't take long to get right with God. He used to teach us that. Don't take long to get right with God. You can get right with God right away. I got down on my knees and right away I got right with God. And then God showed me what to do with some things in the finances. And his finances began to turn around. Because he got willing and obedient. Got to do what the Word of God says. When we get revelation about what the Word says, we need to be obedient with it. We need to be diligent with it. Remember the juggler? We're going to keep coming back to this juggler. That's why I wanted that picture up there. I wanted that image there for you. There's a threshold that some of us are battling with. That we can only handle so many truths of God and be mindful of them at the time. For some of us, it's two, three, four, five, ten, twenty. But we need to get to a place where we are mindful of all the things that God has given us. That I apply myself to each one. I make it part of my life. I don't just pick it up for a week and then pick up the next new doctrine and then pick up the next new doctrine and then pick up the next new thing. I stay with it. When God gives me a revelation, when He gives me an understanding on things, I stay with it. I don't let it go. I am diligent with that revelation. I let Him know, you gave this to me. I appreciate it. And I work this into my life. It's a part of my life. I don't have to think about it anymore. It's just a part of my life. And now you can, you can give me more. And pretty soon we learn we can take even more and more and more revelation from God. That our capacity can be greatly enlarged. We thought we could only handle one revelation at a time. Then we grew and we found out, oh, I can handle two. And I can work that into my life. And then I can handle three. And then I can handle four. And you increase your capacity. There's a threshold. There's a level that you hit. And when you're in that, in that spot, you can't take anything more on without getting frustrated. I can't do any more. than I'm, I'm doing all that I can, God. Don't you, can't you see this? God wants you to be able to increase your capacity. To be mindful all the time of the things of God. To be mindful of all the principles of faith that you've learned. To be mindful of all the things that He's done for you in the past. Too often we forget what it is that God's done for us. We're not mindful of those things. Remember some time back we got you those books for you to write one part of it, what God has done for you, another part of it, principles that you were learning. I don't care so much if you're using that book or if you're using something else, but where are you putting the things of God? 
How are you recording them? Do you go back and you look over all the things that God has done or do you come to God like Israel did? He brought us out here to die. Really? Don't you remember the Red Sea? How about Moses? You won't help me deliver the children of Israel. I already tried that. It didn't work. Really, Moses? Don't you remember the river? Don't you remember preservation that was there? How you got plucked out? Your mom got paid to nurse you? Really? I'm going to forget about you? God's not going to forget about us. But we've got to be mindful of these things. When we begin to hit a level of frustration, it's because more things are coming in than I can handle. So I've got to grow my capacity of what I can handle. And you can do it. God will help you to grow your capacity of what you can handle. What you can handle of the principles of God and what you can handle as far as tasks that you are given, as far as callings that are on your life. God can increase your capacity. Remember the looked at the talents, the guy with the talents, the one who had two grew to a capacity to hold four. The guy who had five grew to a capacity to hold ten. And then God says, you know what? You've got a capacity to hold eleven. Here's another one. He grew the capacity. We can grow our capacity. Just because I'm at one level doesn't mean that I'm always going to stay there. It can change. It can grow if you let it. And frustration won't be coming and knocking at your door all the time. We're going to be talking about some more things about how to stop it from knocking at your door. And when it does knock at your door, what it shows you as the weeks go on here. Would you all stand up with me? So we pray this morning.